The SWAT championship game is this Saturday. Let's take a look at the first time that Southern and Jackson State faced off. Oh yeah, it's Locked on HBCU. Play my music. You are Locked on HBCU, your daily podcast covering HBCU sports. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, family? Welcome back to another episode of the Locked on HBCU podcast, your number one. Daily one-stop shop for everything HBCU athletics, Monday through Friday, part of the Locked on podcast network, your team every day. And I, of course, am Darian Gray, a.k.a. the Mouth of the South, Texas Southern alum and former TSU Herald Sports editor. Thank you for going on this journey with me, making Locked on HBCU your first listen of the day every single day now remember just because the mic cuts off does not mean that the journey is over just means it's time to follow me on twitter at south exclusives which you can see right here at the bottom of the screen or you just heard it from my mouth if you are on the audio side of things now we have a full show tomorrow dedicated to the SWAC championship game and previewing that yes of course so I'm not going to focus so much on the matchup that is Saturday but I'm going to kind of rewind and look back at the matchup that was featured on college game day yes the first time that Southern and Jackson State faced off we're not going to look at season-long trends we're not going to look at what team is ranked where none of that what we are going to do is just hop in our time machine and go back to that day and only reflect on that first matchup and some of the numbers that decided. So let's get into some of the key numbers from Jackson State versus Southern. One, the first number is zero, right? We have five numbers. The first number is zero because that's the amount of points that Jackson State allowed on that first day. That I'm Now you correct me if I'm wrong. Y'all will, y'all will do that. So correct me if I'm wrong. I've never seen a team win scoring zero points. I've never seen it. I've never seen a team lose when they allowed zero points. And that's what happened with Jackson State, right? You went ahead and you won that game because you only allowed zero points. Now, to me, points can be an indicator, not a tell-all, but it can be a strong indicator of just how successful an offense was on the day. And zero points means that Southern's offense was not really effective at all and I think that you can get more things to contextually explain that but zero points is zero points you didn't have a good day there's no way to spend zero points oh we we had a couple of opportunities and it's zero points that that just is what it is so let's move on to the next number and the next number is seven that is the total amount of third down conversions between both teams combined and it's not as if they were suffering for third downs and both teams were just getting a bunch of first on on second down and first down. No, actually, there was a lot of third down opportunities in this game, 30 apiece. Jackson State went four for 12, while uh, Southern went three for 18. Now, clearly, three for 18 is worse than four for 12. However, that's still something that both teams need to work on. And that's why I found it important, because... In a game where you won 35 to zero and you have to go against that opponent again, it's important that you start to nitpick. I'm going to nitpick because if I was a coach, that's what I would be doing. You have to find little things to get better at because if you go in there and feel like, oh, we could do the exact same thing and still win, you might be rudely mistaken because they're going to be prepared for all of the things you did to them, right? It's, it's a 
it's a complete thing about, you know, just how you're going to change the game plan. But if you want to look at something that you did not do well, that's third down conversions. Four for 12 is not good. Three for 18 is not good. That is a part of the laundry list of things that Southern is going to attempt to clean up from the first game. But that's just one of the few things I don't want to say clean up, but one of the few things that they want to improve on if you're Jackson State. And that's kind of the difference. But both teams need to be focused on that. All right. Now we go to our next uh, numbers, and these are kind of a double header. You have 4.1 and 194. Those are your two numbers, 4.1 and 194. The reason I have both of these numbers is because that is the highest yard per carry as a team, and then also the highest total rushing yards as a team. And both of those go to Jackson State. I don't think that Southern can win this game if one of those stats doesn't swing their way. They either have to outrush Jackson State as far as total numbers or just yards per carry and honestly the former is more important you want to have more yardage running than Jackson State because that's your bread and butter I just don't think that they can win this game if that isn't the case if you aren't a better rushing team than Jackson State on this day let's let's just say it's going to be a very uh, a much more difficult task to win that SWAC championship and then the last number that I want to point out is two and this comes from Jason Dumas, not because he wears two. He doesn't at all. It's hard to beat a team two times is exactly what he said leading up to this. Now, that's not exactly the saying. The saying, I've never heard this in college, but the saying comes from the pros as far as what I've heard. And that's, it's hard to beat a team three times. And that's true. And I guess technically it's hard to sweep a team too. So it is hard to beat a team twice. But that's the confidence. And I think that's the energy that Southern really needs to go into it with. And we're going to keep it relatively brief because tomorrow's episode is going to be all about it. Nothing else. We might do quick hits at the end, but it's going to be all Jackson State versus Southern 2. So we'll see what's going to happen in that game and what we're looking forward to. And we're done like when we're done taking a look back now as we go forward, we're going to be talking to my guy, Mo Carter, because there has been a mass exodus at Alabama AM and the Norfolk State. And I'm just curious what that's about. Before I get into that, however, today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online, the number one place for all of your sports wagering. If you want to get down with your parlays, you want to get down with your one game bets, you want to get down with your player props, all of these things are alive and kicking on Bet Online. They are amazing because they're versatile. Yes, I told you all of the things that they have. But they have this for all different types of sports. The World Cup is going on right now. Put your money down. The USA shocking people, right? So I think they're still in it. I hope. I just said it. <laughs> but you got the USA uh, in the World Cup or whoever you're rooting for. You got the NFL, the NBA. You got college football, college basketball. You have everything you could vote on, on bet on, and it's going to be all on bet online where the game starts. <laughs> rolling on today's episode of Locked on HBCU. I appreciate you for making us your first listen of the day every day. For your second listen of the day, make sure you're checking out Locked on Sports today. And hopefully you checked it out yesterday because your boy was on there talking about Deion Sanders and the offer from Colorado and what it would mean whether he left or stayed. So check that out wherever you listen to your podcast, including this app right here. Now I'm about to bring on Mo Carter. He's going to talk about the situation at Alabama A&M and Norfolk because both of these teams are losing a lot of players through the transfer portal, but it doesn't seem like there's reason to worry down there in Alabama. 
All right, Mo, we talked off camera for a little bit. This situation feels very, very messy in Alabama A&M, but I don't know if it is as messy as it seems. So you're closer on the inside than I am. What's going on with all of these players who are leaving Alabama A&M? All right, so you may recall the year after the COVID year, if you want to go and say like kind of that summertime going into, you know, fall of 2021, Coach Maynard was asked about, hey, how do you keep a lot of guys or what are you going to do when it comes to the guys that's going to gain additional eligibility and things of that nature? And, uh, you know, he straight up said that, hey, you're not all conference or whatever stuff. You're not about to be a fifth, sixth year senior or whatever. A lot of people thought he was joking, but in reality, he really was saying that, hey, I don't have spots to keep all these guys or whatever, because it's not like they gave them additional time to keep more guys or whatever. So you look at guys like Brian Jiggins Jr. and Gary Quarles. They've been on this team really since Maynard's first year. They were a part of Maynard's um, you know, first recruiting class. So these guys, they've come. They've done their part. They've graduated but due to either red shirts or the COVID whatever years, you're looking at guys that may have fifth and sixth years of eligibility. And, you know, if you're a coaching staff, you're looking at it like, hey, we need to kind of, you know, move on and kind of get some fresh blood in that. So I can definitely speak on Brian Jenkins Jr. and Gary Cross probably falling into that fold. Now, you know, there were some other guys like Jakeef, uh, Jaquiel Reef and Dennis Fisher who, um, you know, have joined the program in more recent years. And quite frankly, with them, I just think that either they saw the writings on the wall or they decided that they wanted to go elsewhere or whatever with their career following maybe that full season evaluation that was given to them by Coach Manor and the staff or whatever with it. The most interesting thing, though, we need to continue to look at is that this is about to become the norm. It really, really is with the transfer portal because lots of kids want to play now. And I get it. At this, but at the same time, too, a lot of guys don't want to sit and wait their turn. They want to see whatever now, and they think that hitting a transfer portal is their better option. Now, I want to take it back. That's that's something big you just said, but I want to kind of take it back. You talked about some of these players who were younger and seeing the writing on the wall. What do you mean by that? Because I, I tell you the truth. When I started seeing all of these players, and this is before you came on, when I saw all of these players just start leaving, I started questioning the security of Coach Maynard's job. You know, typically, and we're going to talk about this with Norfolk, a lot of players leaving is typically joined by a coach leaving. It, should, should we be concerned about that at all? And is that what you meant when you said writing on the wall? No, I say writing on the wall from a competition standpoint. I mean, Coach Manor is pretty much in a good spot when it comes to job security. I mean, yeah, this past year did not go the way that, you know, many wanted or whatever. But you also have to think about this. In all the years he's been here at Alabama A&M, this is his first losing season. And, you know, prior to um, last fall, he signed a contract, you know, a new contract, not a contract extension, a brand new contract. So, you know, so he's here for a couple of more years for sure or whatever. But when I say writing on the wall, I mean like competition or whatever to where they're like, hey, you know, we bought you in. We thought you might be able to do this and things just didn't work out or whatever and stuff. So either you have to go ahead and like work a little bit harder, but also understand that we may be bringing somebody in to either compete with you or possibly take your spot. And I'll ask one more question about Alabama A&M. And I just want to see what you can speak to. This is more so towards the fans. A, a player who is still there, he didn't enter the transfer portal. He said, it's hard to play when your fans don't love you. And I know that a lot of times when you have your first bit of your first lack of success, in a long time, it, it can get hard for fans and they can get angry. 
what is the what is the feeling around this team right now when you're talking about the fan base? Not in the locker room, not in the coaching staff, but the fan base. What's the temperature? So the fan base, they're they're low-key optimistic about the future. They understood that this past year, you know, things started off rough. I mean, you know, tough matchups against UAB, who is now going to a bowl game a Troy team that um, will be playing for a conference championship this upcoming weekend under coach John Summerall, who's actually a Huntsville native. So, you know, you look at it like that, that and those were, you know, two FBS opponents or whatever with that Austin P the loss they had to them. Austin P was the top 25 team, you know, for a while um, throughout FCS rankings. So it was a really, really tough schedule for Alabama A&M. And with so many movers and shakers or whatever, especially with the rosters, I don't really think that they were able to adjust the way they probably could, even though they got to a point where it was like, hey, the uh, the ball was in their court for certain things, but the ball just did not roll their way. Obviously, you could look at the tape and say, if this happened or this happened or whatever, it could have went differently. But I think the fans should be encouraged after seeing what Alabama A&M did in that last game against Texas Southern, you know, down a couple of touchdowns with only so many minutes to go and come back and they pick up the victory. And not only picking up the victory, they had a chance to basically end their season on a good note while eliminating another team uh, from championship game contention. So they should be optimistic about that, but also they need to be hungry and also know that the team has got to do a little bit better. And they're going to cheer you on or whatever, but they're going to want to see some results because they experienced success over these last couple of years for really the first time in almost a decade, if you really think about it. You know you're wrong for going there. You know you're wrong for going there. I got there. you, man. I you know you're you wrong for going there. Look, all right, just just because Southern gets in and you're an alum and whatnot, you all happy. <laughs> no, I don't appreciate that. We're gonna switch gears over to Norfolk for one question, okay? I just want to know. I know you're based in Alabama, but you have connections everywhere, and they have had a mass exodus as well. Probably more publicized than Alabama A&M. A report recently came out that 17 of the 23 uh, transfer portal players from the MEAC came from Norfolk State. I just want to know if you've heard anything about what's going on there, because that scares me a little bit more than what was going on at Alabama A&M. No, man, I really haven't heard much what's going on up there with Coach Dawson Odoms and Norfolk State, but I have seen the reports. I've seen the Twitter messages and Instagram messages and not Instagram message, Instagram posts and Facebook posts about all these guys leaving. What's interesting, though, is that a lot of the guys that are leaving, they've got two and three years left of eligibility, yes. which kind of makes me wonder is Coach Odom's basically trying to wipe the slate clean and then literally almost like start over with these last couple of years that he's got on his contract? Remember, he had the seaman position to win the MEAC last year and unfortunately lost a few games, and then they really hit rock bottom this upcoming year. So I don't know. I'm thinking that, you know, some of the guys that were there before him, maybe they just have not either proved themselves and the coaches have has told them they need to move on or they're just – you know, ready just to kind of change some things over or whatever. Because, you know, remember, the MEAC, granted, it's more of a top-heavy conference than anything or whatever, And it, but there's not that much difference between, you know, the middle of the pack and the bottom of the pack or whatever with those six teams. So I really do wonder, with all these guys leaving, we're going to transfer portal if it's one of those things where coach staff's kind of like, we just got to really just change a whole lot of stuff up in order for us to like really, really be competitive. So that would be my guess on it. Obviously, you know, coach where at some point is going to probably come and address it or whatever, especially with the early signing uh, period 
um, coming up in the upcoming week. So it'll be interesting to kind of see what's going on with Coach Odoms and company out there on the East Coast. Well, there you hear it. Until J.J. Davis leaves, I won't press the panic button. If he leaves, then I know there might be something wrong and it's not just a, a clean sweep or a clean wipe of the slate. But I appreciate you, Mo, coming on. Check him out at Fox 54 and who knows, maybe – one time I might be back. You just got to keep checking them out to be sure. But I appreciate you coming on the show for uh, for sure. I always appreciate Mo coming on the show because he's insightful. And this time he was very calming, telling you there is no reason to really worry about the exodus at Alabama A&M. It is truly part of Maynard's process and not at all a part of his downfall like I thought it might have been. And I'm glad to hear that it isn't. But going forward, we have another friend. Coach G is coming on the show to break down the all-swag team. He has some problems just like other, people's do, other people do with the defensive all-swag team. As wrapping up today's episode of Locked on HBCU, Coach G of Draft HBCU comes on. Y'all know he's a great friend of the, of the show and of the family. And he's going to break down some of his issues with the all-swag superlatives and then also the all-swag team. All right, Coach G, one of the most disputed things in the all-swag superlatives was that freshman of the year. It went to Kevin Coleman. A lot of people said it should have been Avante Maddox. Where do you stand on this? <laughs> okay. I want people – <clears throat> let me keep it simple for people, right? Let's talk about – stats do not always tell the whole story, as we all know. Um, in Maddox's case, his stats alone – First of all, stats aren't bad. I mean, I mean, granted, two interceptions is only what three less than the leader in the SWAC. So I mean, that's not it's not a bad. I mean, two interceptions, two interceptions. Watch some tape. The kid is a pretty good run stopper at his age. He's big. He can cover a man and he can cover his own. He can, I think he could he could play any defensive back position personally. I think they should work him around even a little bit more. And end of the day. Was his impact greater than Kevin Coleman's impact on, on his team? If you take Maddox out of that secondary, they're not as good. Okay. You take <laughs> Kevin Coleman away from JSU, oh, I still have two of the top receivers in, in black yeah. college football. Still stacked. Oh, and don't forget you know, there's this little short guy that plays with him too, uh, uh, Brother Hooks. I, yep. you know, it's, ooh, it's Daniels, Hooks, Hooks. and uh, Gaines. Gaines. Daniel, Hooks, Gaines. Daniel, Hooks, Gaines. So, wait, hold on. I'm sorry. Hooks is tall. Gaines. Gaines the short one. Sorry. Gaines the short one. <laughs> sorry, fellas. Sorry. Y'all, it's a lot of – Shador throws it a lot of y'all, so, I mean. He does. Okay. He does spread it around. Yeah, like, it that's, so that's, that's for sure. So that's my point. I mean, think about it, right? Impact-wise. On tape, yes, Coleman, I like Coleman. I just don't – he's in a situation where he has to share the ball too much. I mean, so it's kind of hard for me to, you know, a guy that's rarely getting the ball comparison to a guy that's on the field 100% of the time who has a, who's in the top defense in the SWAT for the most part who did pretty well against JSU as well. So, I mean, I, I'm, I'm also a defensive guy. So maybe that's, that's maybe it's a bias. I just, I'm just saying when I was when you break down JSU's film and you're like, well, I mean, 
look who they got on the edges, and then <laughs> on the outside receiver, then you got, you know, it's really like three good slot receivers from what I've seen. They got a running back with a thousand yards, quarterback throwing it all over the place. So, I mean, Kevin Coleman, you we were great, but yeah, and hey, you mentioned that defensive bias too. And I feel like most of the gripes about this all swag team were on the defensive side. Everyone I heard complaining was typically a defensive player. So I go ahead and I point to you and I say, where did they go wrong? Whether that was Jalen Bell, who I know you want to talk about, or maybe even Isaiah Major. I know we both like him, so I'll throw those two players at you. Jalen Bell is the best. Jalen no, Bell say it. Say is the, it. he's the best. Interior D lineman in this in the swag. That's film. That stats could show that he's very productive. And listen, I get it. He played at Mississippi Valley State, and the same thing's going to happen to Ronnie to an extent. But it didn't. Matter of fact, no, it didn't happen. Ronnie won first team, but yeah, so. Ronnie, his defensive player of the year was probably shot because he played at Mississippi Valley State, who had one of the worst defense. Not only the swag when the FCS. So, I get it. Jalen Bell might have been hit in the sun, but that's the difference between people that watch film, which I do on Jalen Bell every week, just like I do, you know, I do my D-line and stuff for the most part, but I watch everybody. Mm -hmm. Jalen Bell, from a technique aspect, from a you-have-to-block-him aspect, to a he shows up, to a they're triple-teaming him, he only about 5'11", 285. You know what I'm saying? Now, I'm only saying only like 5'11", 285 doesn't look huge. You know? Yeah. But, football, I mean, football height and size. We, we're with you. <laughs> yeah, football height and size. So, so check it, right? He's, he has a 10 and a half tackles for loss. So pretty much a tackle loss per game. 43 tackles, 4.5 sacks. And what was that? Two, two forced fumbles and two fumble recoveries. I mean... What, what else? Stat wise, okay, but we know what the swag did. They only put one interior D lineman in out of the eight. So I, my thing is like, okay, so what are we doing when we do the picks? Are we going by position? I mean, is it like a D line thing, as in a whole D line? Because you see, they move Ronnie Thomas. They put Ronnie Thomas at linebacker. So they people pick and choose when uh, Ronnie well, Thomas. Well, is well, well, let me let me stop you there. I think this is a very similar. Um... And we weren't supposed to go this way, but I think this is a very similar issue that you've seen the NFL run into a couple of years ago where all the defensive linemen were taken by edge players and they started having to say, OK, this is an edge. And I feel like when you when you just say defensive lineman, you go to the sexy position and that's always going to be those defensive ends, you know, so it's just unfortunate for the defensive interior players and that it's Maybe maybe we have to look at the way that we're defining the players when it comes to these all swag teams. Maybe that's what we need to look at. True. But, uh, um, uh, who's the yeah, other player I said? Oh, Major. Oh, well, Major, you know, I, I liked him for defensive player of the year, obviously. Okay, but, yeah. I mean, but he made second team. Now, this is what I'm saying. He made second team linebacker because they didn't want to put Ronnie Thomas at defensive lineman and take out either – because they have two fam you guys first team. So, and also, put this out here. I love Niles Gaddy. Mm -hmm. Love Niles Gaddy. The but not Niles Gaddy in the beginning of the year and the, in the second half of the year, two different. I, 
the production, the impact wasn't as. Now you look at the other guys on the list; they all were started climbing throughout the year. Malachi Bailey, for me, I mean, I noticed him early in the year, but he started losing his mind towards the end of the year. I'm talking; I think he had a sack every game. I think he had a game like multiple games with multiple sacks. Like this guy in that Jackson State game, they, they that cemented his first team all uh, swag. I wouldn't be I wouldn't be shocked if he would have won a defensive player of the year. He was the best defensive player on the field that day. And that's on a day where, you know, Travis Hunter and Aubrey Miller, Miller. yeah. Killer Cam, you know, yeah. like they couldn't block him. You you it wouldn't there's nothing they could have done. I mean, Alcorn should have well, should could have would have whatever. But you know, Niles Gaddy. They had to put Niles there. They felt like they had to. They had to put Niles there, which means you can't put Niles there, Stevens, Bailey Land, and not have Ronnie Thomas because Ronnie Thomas was the best best edge rusher, or defensive lineman, whatever you want to call it, for the, pretty much the first eight weeks of the season. Then all of a sudden, you know, you know, you got guys like you know Bailey, and then Land started being Land again, and then Stevens is like, oh wow, did Stevens lead this. And then you got Jordan who towards the end lead. So it's like, okay, but Ronnie Thomas was still the guy you had to block on Mississippi Valley State. And guess what? And like I said before, they had to block two of those. I watched them play. Dylan yeah. Bell and Ronnie Thomas on the same side. Very destroying yeah. people. These little, these little, it's like little pit bulls, man. Like just watching them just go against these six, seven offensive linemen, and they just get. As you can see, I, I, I love now you love you love Mississippi Valley State's off. I mean, defensive line yeah. since before the season. Um, you you loved them since since when was that? When we were doing all those previews, February. Like yeah. you you've loved them since then. Love the defensive line coach. Love the the prospects they put out, and it's nice to see that that hasn't changed. And I'm sure that it won't change. Gee, we're gonna let you get out of here because I know you have to do your uh draft spaces. Of course, it's gonna Ooh. come out in the morning, but you're gonna do your draft spaces. We we still got to get those ranking episodes. I, I want to talk about these linebackers because. Ooh. It's hotly, hotly contested. You got Major, you got Miller, and it feels like the linebacker position is is definitely stacked. So I want to talk about them some sometime in the future, maybe around Christmas. Mm-hmm. We'll get something popping. I almost forgot. I could be, <laughs> I could be sadly. I just looked again to make sure. How did Isaac, Keaton Isaac, make all swag? I ain't how, got the answers. I, I ain't got the answers. No, seriously, seriously, seriously. <laughs> no, nah, seriously. I don't have the answers. Oh. It just feels doing? like all swag might have been a uh, a gross misevaluation of defensive play this year, and I think that might be one of the bigger consensus coming out of this team. But BJ Bowler over Keenan Isaac. I love Bowler, bro. Come on, come on, man. And I don't care. I not that I don't care for DBs. I love DBs, but yeah. know, as a lineman, y'all get on my nerves. But come on, are you? Are y'all gonna have y'all? Where are y'all gonna uh, post your draft HBCU? Bro, uh, we're having draft we're HBCU doing, team. We're doing a space tomorrow, Thursday. Oh, so it's not gonna be today. It's gonna be yes tomorrow. I'm meant to. I'm Wait, sorry. hold on. We dropping it on Thursday, so make sure they know it's Thursday night. Yeah, Thursday night, we're doing a space. We're dropping our all-draft HBCU first and second team for FCS and Division II players. So it's, okay. You, 
this this is where you get to correct all the mistakes. Everything that he's upset about right now, you can see his what his version would have looked like. And then you can go tweet him and be like, you don't know what you're talking about. I thought that. <laughs> oh, man, man. And like when you realize like you had to include the me act, the yeah. kids, the CAA yeah. kids, the and the big South yeah. kid. Oh, you got Davis. You got I know. We didn't talk about Davis, but you got B.J. Davis. You got Aubrey Miller. You got Isaiah Major. You got uh both of the North Carolina A&T linebackers. Uh, Tyson King, Jacob Roberts. Quasif oh, my God. Hampton. Listen, it's a lot. I ain't going to lie to you. When you see it, you can be like, yeah, he look was good. But look it. The, I'm, about to look at my, I'm about to look at my calendar right now because I am going to Louisiana. December, tw- the week after the Celebration Bowl, we gonna come on. We are gonna talk about some of these linebackers because even saying that it's too much. We, oh, yeah, listen, I'm going to, oh, I'm going to Louisiana, up. so we are gonna do it. Week of Celebration Bowl. I'm also dropping my defense alignment of the year, my interior, and my uh, my edge. Final, I say my fight. The finalists are coming out after the Swag Championship game. Okay, so during the Celebration Bowl week is when I'm dropping. The award and DM DM them to me just in case because timeline being going crazy. I'll retweet it. Just make sure you DM them to me. All right, Coach G, like you like you just heard, he'll be on in December, so get familiar if you're not already familiar. I appreciate you coming on, my guy. All the time, man. No problem. It's always fun to break down these topics with other people, so much appreciation to Mo and Coach G for coming on and breaking down their respective topics with their expertise. Y'all already know the deal. Tomorrow It's our three matchups, two storylines, and key to victory for the SWAC Championship, a major game, and it is center stage because it's the only HBCU matchup of the day. For your second listen of the day, make sure you are checking out Locked On Sports Today with Peter Bukowski, bringing on all of the local experts to break down the national stories. And in the meantime, in between time, if you're looking for me, you can find me on Twitter at South Exclusives. Until the next time that we hear each other, family, take care, stay blessed. Peace.